Hello everybody and welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders and entrepreneurs in the hospitality industry to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind that both employees and customers love and support. In today's podcast, we are very, very lucky and excited about to be joined by Camilla Sitwell. Camilla is a hospitality transporter, keynote speaker, leading blocker, author of this book, and the co-founder of Colibri Drinks. Camilla has gained a lot of knowledge from working in the front line of hospitality as well as working for suppliers. Camilla recently published her book, Bespoke, How to Radical Grow Your Bar and Restaurant Business Through Personalization, and we were delighted to discuss a lot of things from that book. This podcast will blow your mind on how you can approach hospitality and your customer experience. So grab a coffee, headphones, pen and paper, and tune in to this amazing hour with Camilla. Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast. It's a big pleasure to have Camilla on the podcast today, and I've been really looking forward to this, and I think you're in for a treat out there. So welcome, Camilla. Hello, Michael. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And we are here at the Runaway East co-working space, where we're sitting in down in the bunker, I almost say. It's a little podcast studio, so very cozy with a lot of greens on the walls and, and plants and stuff like that. Very cool place. So it's the first time Hospitality Maverick's here today. So really looking forward today to be discussing uh, with you your new book bespoke your role as an influencer in the industry a female senior person gone out and done something very different than just being in the hospitality industry rapidly trying to change the way things are in the industry so we're going to go down that route and much much more but for the people that shouldn't know who you are maybe it's good to tell a bit about who are you what is your story and how do you end up doing all this, writing books, speaking and trying to change the industry from the inside out? Thank you. So yes, my name is Camilla. I'm a leading hospitality blogger. I'm also the author of Bespoke, which is a book published in December last year. It's been in market for four weeks. I'm also the co-creator, the co-founder of Colibri Drinks, the only soft drink in the world that customers can make it completely bespoke with bespoke sweetness and flavors. Yes, so it's been quite a transformation. I've spent all my life in hospitality industry and in the drinks industry. I came to the UK over 20 years ago, Polish immigrant with a big aspiration to get some of the British education. But where do you get a job? How do you pay your bills when you're a student? You always end up in hospitality. I spent the first decade working in pubs, bars and restaurants, all the way from cleaning the dishes to eventually managing pubs, bars and restaurants. And I loved it. And hospitality is not for everyone. We know that you either love that industry or not. But then I thought, you know, once I graduated and I got several degrees and MBA and I've always been studying and writing theses about hospitality, I thought, you know, I'm going to do something else and I'm going to change the scenes. And I moved to work for big corporates. So I worked for some big coffee companies and some big uh, drinks companies, beverage companies. But the irony was I was always working for hospitality again, but this time just from a slightly different angle. So rather than serving drinks and serving food and managing people, I was suddenly immersed into data and insight, analyzing, investigating all trends in the industry, trying to understand how the guests are changing and what they're looking for, what is the menu development, what is the latest trends, how they eat out, how they socialize. So it was all about spotting new opportunities and threats in the industry for the big players so that the guests are always happy with what they get. What did you work with in these industries? You say you were still working with the hospitality industry, you were just delivering something different. What, what specifically you were working with there? As I understand, it was insights and data. Correct. 
when at that time I could imagine just thinking back, not something that was very high on the agenda as it is today? Absolutely. I think it's still questionable how high it gets on the agenda. I think what is really interesting is every big company in the world has an inside department. The bigger the brand, the more money they spend. It's millions of millions of pounds spent on information, market intelligence, consumer understanding, category understanding. And my job was to collaborate with all the leading market intelligence agencies and consumer experts, leading operators, trendsetters, transporters, and try to understand what is the next big trend in the industry or what is the threat, how to leverage it, what that means for drinks companies, what it means for the hospitality industry. So it was all about connecting information, quantitative, qualitative, research, something that seems very dispersed into you know, a story, into something that the board can make sense of. So it's building actually brand narratives. Correct. And perspective, but also mapping up the future and saying that's where we are right now. But it looks to me like there is a new opportunity happening somewhere there. And that's how it looks like. And that's because the consumers and guests are changing. And that's what they're looking for. And, you know, therefore, we believe there's an opportunity to leverage it in a particular way. It's looking at the historical data and extrapolating it, forecasting it, taking it to the future. Working with a big corporate and then you set out on your own. And can you explain a bit about that journey? Because that's, that's a big jump for, for, for many, many, many people. And I've uh, been on that journey myself that you are really struggling. Should I stay in should here? I should, I, should I go? What is the risk? What about my family? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Can you talk a bit about your story of you know, leaving corporate world and security, as many people call it. So working in inside is a little bit of a, a challenging job. It's, it's not a glamorous job. It's not a sexy job. You can advise as much as you want to. You can bring the horse to the water, but you cannot make them drink it. So, and you know, all the big organizations, they pretty much set in their ways and they do things the way they always wanted to do it and not that much changes over time. So uh, over the last several years, we've noticed there's a massive war on sugar in drinks industry and sugar and non-alcoholic drinks have been crucified and uh, identified as the cause of obesity. And what we've noticed is that every drink industry in the world has switched into replacing sugar with artificial sweetness. And hello, we all knew that actually this is that substance that can potentially kill our customers. It's still unproven. It's still tested. Uh, we've got a lot of research that proves that can be very harmful to your health. But we will do anything to avoid the sugar tax. So seeing all of that and all those developments, you know, all the things that you don't agree with, I came across an idea that blew my mind. It was customization. I was on a short spa break with my girlfriends and uh, we were at the bar in the afternoon, four o'clock in the afternoon. What do you drink when you're not ready for alcohol? The barman was brilliant. He suggested some lemonades, homemade lemonades and the beautiful experience of mixing and blending and lemons flying. And you know, it was fantastic. He served for beautiful lemonades. But it was the problem. You know, none of the girls really liked the drink. One of them was complaining it was too sweet. For another one, it was too sour. It was too many lemons. It was too much ice. Well, at six euros per glass of lemonade, you would expect the product exactly the way you like it. So it was a little bit of a drama. I was sitting there, a head of insight at the time for leading drinks company. I was listening to the girls and my head was spinning and I was thinking, that can't be, can it? You know, the solution to sugar, the solution to any problem. It's not a mass market solution of one way or the other. It's bespoke. It's customization. There is no way that one product will feed millions of people with the same taste profile. 
there's no such thing. One size feeds no one. We're all individuals and we want, we want things our way. So this is when I decided to deep dive into all aspects of customization. I read every research, every white paper, every document and piece of research written by psychologists to learn about customization. It's by far the biggest trend in the industry, not just hospitality, but any industry globally. So whether it's your bespoke Nike shoes, bespoke cosmetics, bespoke nutrition, you know, how you order your car, what you load your car with, it's your choice. Your coffee is personalized. Starbucks is making coffee in 87,000 different ways. You know, how you, how you order your steak. It's completely up to you which piece of meat do you choose and how you want to have it made, how you want it cooked, the sauce, the marinade. If you want to have it with white wine, it's your choice. It doesn't matter if the chef thinks that only Malbec goes with steak. It's all bespoke. And then look at technology, look at Netflix and Amazon. No one is going to tell you what you're going to watch and how you're going to watch. And, you know, it's your choice. You pick, you decide. It's your time. It's on your terms. For customers, bespoke, customization, personalization, however you call it, is that it's an expectation. It's not a privilege. What are you saying is almost come as an unconscious thing for the consumers now. They actually almost expect it there, even though they're not call it customization. They want to make their own choices. And, and I think it's really clear when you, you mentioned Starbucks, a really good example, they start doing it. Even McDonald's now in, the, in Australia, they're testing building your own burger. When I worked there, it was sound impossible mission couldn't be done it would be too much complexity for operation yes even they are taking that in even they what they are in principle selling is time often has to go fast they have to find a way to accommodate the needs from the consumer for me one of the biggest insights is for example do you know that there's only one to two percent of people in this country diagnosed with allergies and food related intolerance yet 30 percent of people in this country believe they believe they have a health problem related to the food they consume. And then on top of that, you know, when they come to the hospitality industry, you know, this is suddenly you think this must be crazy because, you know, we definitely have so many customers coming and claiming to be celiac or, or having some food problems, food intolerance uh, or allergic to ingredients. And the hospitality industry has to tailor the solutions to those customers when we know half of the times those are completely made up problems but this is the point it, it doesn't matter if it's made up or not if, if they feel too embarrassed to be criticized because they don't like mushrooms because they don't want carbs because they follow a particular type of diet that your chef might not understand or like it's their choice and if you tell them no we're not gonna serve it this way this is not the way we do it if your chef says once this is not the way my recipe was created you will forever talk to their hand. You know, they will leave, they will go somewhere else. They will vote with their food dollars. Absolutely. Yes, and this is another beautiful thing that we've discovered. So, you know, do you remember the times when we used to cook? And it wasn't long ago. You know, we used to, as an industry, we used to cook decent food and we would serve decent drinks. Not amazing. Wine was, I remember when I started in the industry, wine was red or white. At the best of times, it was dry or semi-dry. Steak was always well done. There was no choice. We were getting what we were getting from the kitchen. Yet the restaurant was full every single night without any advertising. Well, that's not enough anymore. And the irony is we've become incredibly good at what we're doing. So, you know, the whole hospitality industry, every touch point, look at the way... You know, the sound, the multi-sensory experiences, the menu, the food is incredible. 72% of guests are claiming to be satisfied or very satisfied with the quality of food and service in hospitality. Wow, that's amazing, right? 
except the market is so saturated. There's so many outlets. There's so many restaurants. Well, it's pretty obvious. I mean, they don't have a reason to return to you ever because there's a good, there's good food everywhere. There's no good reason to return to you because if they got the guy next door, they will also get good food and good drinks. So what else can we bring to the industry that will keep them coming back? It's above and beyond good food. That is the standard. That is not our USP. That's a must. Now we have to think about what else we can bring, what other experiences we can introduce. So it's truly personal and relevant and memorable. It's very interesting when you're touching on there, growing up in a restaurant family where my mom learned me there's three things you need to do. You need to take care of your people, your product or your menu and your customers. But she says often after product, things are forgotten and not really done. So the customers and the employees are left a bit on their own after they think they've been served the product, everything is a good and it was a good product. They were happy with the meal, it tastes well. And as you say, it's Red Ocean out there. There's a lot of great products and there's a lot of people are doing great food. But how do you actually make yourself different? How do you dare to be different in an industry that's overflown with concepts? Absolutely. You know, we have a situation when customers are looking for experiences. We have experience economy right now. People don't want goods. We're realizing that goods and things they cover it in dust, all they gather is dust. They want to collect memories, something to share with their friends and family, something to talk about, something to think about. Hospitality is best place to deliver all of this. You know, we can create entertainment or entertainment. We can create bespoke experiences. We can have more engaging conversations with each other. It's a place where the most intimate situations happen when we become most honest and we're still very human it's still about interactions with people and being human which we can't forget about so hospitality has a very special role to play right now we are seeing you know the rise of anxiety and depression in the society you know we are dealing with digital implications of us spending so much time on platforms with fictional uh, friends or friends we've never met people we never talk to face to face hospitality is like a antidote it's like a place we go to escape to relax to be ourselves to, to remind ourselves who we are and experience it with all senses so it's all through touch and smell and texture and you know being with other humans and this is why when I talk about bespoke you know this is the one place in the world you can come and people will listen because this is the nature of hospitality being hospitable tailoring to your needs, providing to your expectations. And we can't forget about that. It's a place where we can still be humans. Very interesting thing there, because I often say that if you travel back in time and think about hospitality and restaurants, so back, way back, maybe a thousand years, hospitality was there. Those restaurants, they just were inns and you got them on your pilgrims and stuff like that. But they were there to serve you on your journey, to actually connect with other people, find that human element getting away from being lonely on the journey to actually start communicating with people. So actually, hospitality is going to have a role in bringing people together as well. Because, That's correct, yes. Because we are spending a lot of time on running around very fast, and that's your break from the hustle of the bustle. And that's actually where you create these unique environments, not only by making them beautiful, but also with the, the food suitable, experience, yes. and suitable and, as you say, bespoke experiences. So if we go down to the industry, where are we then today? Because uh, that's the vision, as I can see, like create amazing bespoke experiences. Where do you think the industry is today? That's been, you know, a lot going on, the perfect storm, rising cost, a lot of chains going into trouble, while all the big boys, Patricia Valerie has just been a lot in the media. Recently, you've seen Byron, 
You've seen the Caluchos, all the great brands that's driving the industry forward has been in Challenger and also a lot of small operators now because of the whole cost structure and things like that. How do you see it? I really don't want to talk about Brexit, to be honest, because it's been covered everywhere. It's, yeah, it's on every page on every magazine and, and costs and rates. It is happening and it's it's really tough for the industry. You know, if you really look at what's happening in the market, we can see that the big chains are really struggling. That's because it's so standardized. It's so less in the chain structure. Every outlet looks the same. The staff is trained in a very similar way. They deliver very similar experiences. It's a bit boring. If you look at what's happening with street food, for example, by comparison, right? I mean, the spend is similar and people are queuing, you know, in the snow, in the cold to get the burger because, you know, it's authentic. It's different. It's bespoke. You can make it as spicy as you want to. You can load it up with the vegetables or the kind of ingredients you like. It's very human. It's very interactive. It's something to talk about. It's something to take pictures of. So it's all about that element of surprise and, and an element of having something new. If I could advise people in the hospitality on anything, it would be, you know, look beyond just food and drinks. Think about what else. What else can you deliver that will surprise and delight your guests? So the time when good food, good drink, convenient location, a nice clean environment was enough. It's just just not working anymore for your guests. They want more. What they're looking for right now is elements of delight me, excite me, show me you understand me, you know, respond to my needs. And it's not even my insight, it's Deloitte and it's everywhere right now. So they talk about hospitality in a way of very emotional collection, very much about, you know, leveraging customization to get to the, the true meaning of who we are as customers and what we really need, moving away from the mass market approach, standardized approach to tailoring services to humans because we want to feel humans right now. So you think that, that a lot of the challenges you can take with Brexit, we can't do anything, anything about that's one of the things that there and they, that, that of course impact any industry it's not only hospitality any industry yes. and country but, but there's so much else we can do to actually get on the other side of this Absolutely. that's what you're saying and there's also you know that element of if you see what's happening in politics right now and in the world we are out of control Right. We, we, we are realizing we as humans were born with this innate need. It's Maslow. Right. When we want to control what happens to us, what's happening to us, we want to control the environment around us. And we are learning increasingly that we we are meaningless. We can't really control anything. You know what's happening in politics and what happens in the country or globally to the environment is beyond a single person influence. But we know one thing. We can definitely control what we consume. We can control what we put in our body. And the first place we're going to go and execute it is hospitality. I'm going for the first time say what I want and I want it my way and I would like it delivered the way I like it. Not the way, can you imagine, you know, a barista telling your customers the only way to have coffee is macchiato with, with cream and sprinkle of chocolate and cinnamon and four sugar because that's the way I like it. Who cares? Yeah. You have it your way. It's almost rude in a way because it's so on the other side of hospitality. I had a very good example talking about coffee yesterday, meeting with a partner of mine and we were having a coffee and he ordered a coffee at a well-known chain. He said he wanted a flat white and he wanted with soya milk. And uh, the first response for the person behind the counter was, that's not good for you. It actually will mm -hmm. kill your facility. And uh, he looked at her and said, well, that's not your business. In a way, I want that drink. Absolutely. And again, it comes back to it's not the industry to educate people what's right or wrong. It's actually serving them what they really want in a way. And that could maybe she's right about that. And I think there is statistics behind that. But that's his choice. 
That's Absolutely. What you want. That's I had a chat the other day with uh, Andre Manini from M Restaurants, who is really all about customization in M Restaurants and Gauchos, and it's a steakhouse, right? And they would ask for a steak tartare, pan fried, and everyone, you know, is frowning, and everyone is thinking there's no way you can have steak tartare pan fried, but. That's what customers want. That's what they get. It's their choice. There's no frowning. There is, you know, the only way is the customer's way. So it's all about truly guest-centric experiences. So we've been always saying we are very guest-centric, but it, frankly, it was very much about what the chef wants to cook, what the chef thinks is right, and what the owner of the brand thinks is, you know, what is right for him, uh, you know, as a brand to serve and stand by. So the power is changing. Customers are taking control, and with what's happening with social media and technology, they're orchestrating their own experiences, and they're recording those experiences and try not to deliver and see what's going to happen. So they want what they want, and has to be done their way, and it's the right. Yeah, and I guess there's still, across the industry, uh, a big need to want to control the menu in a way because you come into cost challenges from yes. an operational point of view and you need to deliver your P&L and food cost and you come into complexity. How are we going to implement that? How are we going to train people in these things? It's almost impossible. We can't face that. Do you think that's the true story or just is that you're scared for change? You are spot on. You are spot on. So I published the book middle of December. So it's been only a month in market, but we've already sold hundreds of copies. And you can see on social media, there's a lot of comments on, on content of the book. And we can see a very clear division. I can see that top management, the leadership teams, people who own brand, they look at the data, they have to pay the bills, they have to survive. They're looking at the book and they say, oh my God, yes, that could work. I can see the reason for that. We're going to implement it. That has to be done. That, that, that could be the next step forward. So they can see the application of customization across all touch points digital technology, customer service, training, food and drink, menu design, all the way to the way we communicate with, with our guests. But that's the top leadership team, right? But then you talk to chefs and you talk to people on the ground and you realize that there is a lot of resistance. So I do get a lot of, well, but I'm a chef. I'm the master, I'm, I'm the artist. I know best what goes best. You know, I know which ingredients blend well. And they don't want to do it. There's a lot of resistance, but that's because it's extra work. There's a lot of complexity and there is a need to simplify the processes. There is a need to empower those people and help them through customization because right now they see it as an extra work and very little in return they get right now. So there must be a way to incentivize them, train them, empower them and make them capable to deliver bespoke experiences. It's very interesting there because in general, so what we work with often is helping getting implementation happen. And one of the biggest challenges I've seen in my career is that 70 to 80% of all change projects or new initiatives that has to go out to the front line fail due to mm -hmm. the lack of communication and understanding. It takes time to convince the front line that we need to do this. You can't just drop that on them and expect them to pick it up because they're already busy. And I think we had a conversation about there's so much going on out there already. They need to do so much. They're working 24-7. Being a manager in the industry have probably never been harder because you just don't have the time to do it. And then we have all the challenges we talked about, rising costs, delivering your P&L, make sure your staff is happy and all that. So I can see definitely there's a big, big interaction gap between senior management and what happens out in front line. How can you make that gap smaller? and faster in a way because I guess as senior people has been myself when you want something to get done that's good for the business mm. you want to get it done now 
No, that's true. But, you know, the beauty of customization is uh, you can start with bite-sized changes. And uh, you don't need to have all this singing and dancing technology to start with. You know, the very simple way is, you know, just start talking to your customers, really asking them honest questions and try to capture that information. What is it they're looking for? What experiences they like? But also, you know, you've got all the EPOS data. You know what they eat. You know what they like. If they've been there before, capture the fact that this girl is a teetotal and the other girl always drinks a Negroni. And there's a guy in the corner who likes the window seat rather than sitting by the bar because he's always conducting business meetings in restaurants. Wouldn't it be amazing that, you know, next time he comes, he gets a bit of a bespoke treatment and your waitress says, you know, welcome again, your preferred table is ready and your Negroni is already waiting for you rather than just a cold hello and welcome. And, you know, at the end of a session, for example, when you get that email, if you get any, saying thank you very much for visiting our restaurant, can you leave some feedback? Or we will be looking forward to seeing you again and taste our spring summer, you know, menu. Wouldn't it be excellent if they said, Jessica, we look forward to seeing you again. Try our spring summer menu. When you arrive, your favorite Negroni will be waiting for you. We also notice you like your Malbec. We've got a fantastic range, just stocked. I think you will enjoy it. And it's like, wow, you know me, you know what I like, you know what I'm about. You understand what I drink, you paid attention, someone is paying attention. Well, that's priceless, that's personal, and that can be captured. And you don't need a really sophisticated technology to do that. Another thing is, uh, you know, even if you have customers who have never been into your venue before, or you didn't capture the data, you know, between the time they booked a table and the time they actually arrive, We've got time to make a phone call, and you usually do, just to confirm whether they're coming or not. How about actually finding out a little bit more, an extra two minutes of asking about the occasion, and do you have any special needs requirements, just beyond the allergy standard questions. It's amazing, you know, what's going to happen when you capture it and implement it. Actually, you just mentioned allergy again, and you talked about how few actually actually have an allergy in the UK. You said 2%, I think. Less than 2%. Less than 2%. And this is definitely a, a scare picture that's right now going on in the industry because I was out yesterday evening eating in Soho. You asked twice about allergies. Are you sure? Are you sure there's nothing there you, you can't eat? So there's been some indices, there's been some was in the news with a very unlucky case. In a way, all the focus maybe now has gone over to how can we mitigate that happening in our restaurant? Yes, it's a scary thought. We had some tragic incidents yeah. in the industry. So, uh, you know, a look at the number of cases that we actually had of those situations when there was an incident of someone dying or really sick after consuming something in a restaurant, there's a handful of them in the last two or three years. But because there have been a lot of press and media and because we're pushing the responsibility on the operators to make sure that those incidents don't happen, you know, we're very aware of that. It also reminds us that we cannot ignore what the customers are saying because even though they might be making up their stories or they might be just following a particular diet, but because they feel embarrassed to tell you, the operator, that, you know what, I actually don't like fish which is fried, I like it baked. Or I don't like those herbs, I like different herbs. Or I don't like those spices, I want something else. Because they get a lot of, of an attitude, a bit of the evil eye, you know, another one, you know, with their own preferences and messing up my day and messing up the menu. Don't they realize how much time it takes to prepare it? This is why people make up allergies. And, and this is why, you know, we've got this problem. We can't differentiate between people who really have health problems and those ones who make it up as they go along. But I don't think it really matters whether they make it up or not. We just have to do what the customers want. And, you know, if you look how we're leaving, I don't know about you, but I'm on diet every Monday and Tuesday, right after the weekend. Friday comes, here comes my wine, I want a slice of cake, I want to treat myself and I will probably have a roast 
on Sunday. Monday comes again, I'm trying to be healthier. I'm also more healthier in the mornings than I am in the evenings. I'm healthier in January and February than I am in November and December. No one is really consistent anymore. And that changes all the time, not only through different seasons or throughout the week, it's also throughout the day, depending on your mood. We expect hospitality and the industry to deliver and cater to those needs because it makes us feel good, makes us feel like we've been taken care of. All this amazing stuff, as we mentioned earlier in the start of the, the we had the book lying here on the table, bespoke, you wrote this book. What was your prime motivation to get all these into a book and share that with the industry. That was a part of a research into a product line I was working on. Over three years ago, I decided to create bespoke drinks. I realized there's no such thing in the market anywhere in the world. As an inside expert, the first thing I do is turn back to knowledge, turn back to industry, turn back to reports and data. So I started digging and immersed myself into all types of data information. I spoke to all the leading industry experts and inside uh, professionals, and there was nothing of that kind in the soft drink industry. But you can find evidence of this in coffee or cocktails, for example. There's lots of other examples when, when customization is key and everything is bespoke. So the more I was reading, the more I was learning, you know, I realized it's not enough, so I went to market that's how I call it. So I spend a lot of time in bars and restaurants. If you've ever seen this, this lonely blonde Polish woman at the bar staring at you and your food and how you consume and how you interact with people in restaurants, that was probably me. I spent a lot of time observing and talking to chefs and mixologists and baristas, trying to understand what drives people to make things bespoke and customize their options, trying to talk to guests and understand their perspective if they wanted to talk to me. So it was incredibly time-consuming but once you connect the dots and you realize you know it's not revolutionary we are seeing it but you can see it for example as part of premiumization right so we say okay the most premiumized cocktails are actually the ones that are bespoke which are all about experience and new ritual and you know a lot of hocus pocus and steam and and your type of gin or vodka and and ingredients that you like floral or herbal or however you like it that what makes the experience premium because it's bespoke. You can see this split between health and indulgence. Customers who come to a restaurant with the intention of being healthy, very good, and the moment they walk into your restaurant, it's all forgotten. They suddenly have a change of mind. They want to indulge. So you have to be prepared for those fickle customers who will want things just the way they want to. You have to have options which are both healthy and indulgent, that can be customized, that can be bespoke, so they can pimp it up or pimp it down however they want it. So I got all that insight, all that information. I thought, you know, actually that would be very useful for the hospitality people. I'm in this very privileged situation of being objective. We're working so hard around the clock and we so focus on our outlets and we are benchmarking it against very similar outlets. You suddenly think, well, there's another universe there and other outlets we can learn from. Maybe you're, you're selling soft drinks, but you can learn from coffee. Maybe you are in fast food chain, but you can learn from fine dining restaurants. And we can see those blaring boundaries and those learnings taken from completely different industries. So that's why I published Bespoke. I just put it all together and I thought, you know what, I, I hope the industry is going to enjoy one of the things we say to people when we work with them is there's actually other companies outside hospitality that's worth looking at what they're doing to create example a very good example employee and customer experience southwest airlines in the u.s very very good at customer service making very fun so if you haven't looked them up look them up they are amazing and they grow their business year and year and you can learn so much 
of looking at what other industries are doing and try that to adapt that into a hospitality environment. I, I really, really agree on, on that. If you started all that insight, you must have piles and piles of data and numbers. How did you find out to get the structure in the right way? Because when I read the book, I must say, it was really well structured. You can take that book and go and make change from one day to the other, in my view. Thank you. If you have the model. Thank if you have you. a six-step model in there, I will just say. And maybe you can just tell a bit about why you structured it like you did in your in your book. Oh, thank you. You know, knowledge is power. Being an inside expert is not very sexy, like I said, but having access to the industry experts, people who understand every aspect of hospitality through quantitative and qualitative information, who interact with your guests every single day and do nothing else but interview them day in and day out, who compare the market performance, who compare category performance, who compare menus, who come with conclusions is very powerful. Now, Coming from the inside industry means I did have access to all those people. I became friends with, you know, all the leading inside agencies. Despite the fact that I left the drinks companies and the coffee companies, I never left the industry. I was always on very good terms with the industry experts. So, you know, you know that you have to start with the customer. Everything is about the customer. You, you, you start with understanding of what drives them. And actually the reason for customization is much more profound than just I want to be fussy and, and make your life difficult. It's coming from the fact that we are feeling powerless that we are feeling out of control. So we are seeing now a lot of evidence of people being anxious and depressed and stressed, and, and that's because we are out of control. We, we feel like we can't control where our, our lives are heading. And that's also because we went through 20 or 30 years of overspending on goods. I mean, if you look at what's happening in the UK, I think we've got 78% of all families in the UK never use their garage because it's full of stuff, it's full of crap, it's it's the overflow, overspill from the house. Things you never used or you will never use again, things we've been buying endlessly, you know, things which are completely, it's, it's just excess and status and spending. And then we're realizing now that it never made us happy. So, so what's been happening, you know, people are looking for experiences and experiences are pretty much always come from hospitality, entertainment, travel, you know, those are those sectors which always deliver good things for your soul. Not just the gadgets, it's the things for your soul, the things you're going to remember. Starting from the consumer and what they need and how they evolved and what's been happening over the last 30 years, how they went through recession and how they're feeling right now. All the way to what does it mean for you as an entrepreneur, as a brand owner? What do you stand for? You know, what is your brand philosophy? Are you going to be, I don't know, a plant-based outlet or very ethical? Are you going to source local food or you just don't care? It's all about speed of service. Maybe it's all about technology. So what is going going to be your USP? What, what is it that you stand for? How is it different to the guys next door? Then you look at your people, you know, what they deliver and how they can deliver those bespoke experiences. They have to be a reflection of your identity, of what you stand for. Do they understand what you stand for? You know, when you were looking at McDonald's, you know, that philosophy of McDonald's must be reflected in people. They have to act upon it. You know, those people are the greatest asset. It's like a well oiled machinery. It will only break if people just lose the cause, if they don't understand why they're doing what they're doing. So you start with people and then you look into processes. So what is it? What are the tools? Well, it's food, it's drinks that can be bespoke and tailored. You look at marketing and all the other touch points. You look at digital technology and how that can be leveraged, how we can connect with the consumers better way before they come to your outlet. The moment the customer thinks, well, oh, I fancy a night out. Can they find you online? Do they understand what you stand for? 
do they understand how you're different from the guy next door and uh, is it exactly what he's looking for can you tailor you know the experiences around him will you take the time to understand him so you will see right now that if you read the customers review on trip advisors we're not just looking for the reviews of the food we're looking for the reviews of the service and it's all about what was it unique and was it personal enough was it special you know in terms of staff and we see in a massive movement of looking for people who are not unified and the same we're looking for the quirky for the outfits the people that were that are different you know people who stand for something i think it's very interesting just what you said there because you, and you talked about people before how important they are for make you being able to deliver this experience the customer experience the bespoke experience there's been a lot of talk about employee engagement you know high turnover and all this stuff but actually it just starts with that you as you said you have a a statement you have a position in the market that you understand as an employee and say i can connect to that i want to be part of that so if you are a plant based concept you will attract certain kind of employees and you have to live that fully out then and make sure that you are the best plant-based place because they want to be part of that then and part of that journey and i think it's very interesting that there's been a very a lot of focus over the many 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 years of making you know standard uniformed employees you put them in the copy machine and you think you can make the same behavior you have six service steps and this is what you need to repeat every time and it comes comes from the fast food model being part of that industry myself where you actually try to minimize every waste you can in the interaction with everything where do you see the industry is from a people point of view because if that's so important in creating these special moments where is the industry right now because they all screaming out for people and not enough talent and things like that what is your view on that well absolutely hospitality industry is a team job there's not that many industries which really require multiple talents to deliver an experience you can be the greatest leader ever but you're not going to deliver the experience by yourself only so you need to have the right quality people with the right personality and the right attitude what i'm seeing right now is the industry is becoming more open minded i mean it's always been you know everyone is welcome in hospitality everyone can get a job in hospitality but now we sort of harness that talent in a different way so before we would recruit those people and try to change them right now if you have a quirky barman with a particular personality you actually want him to flourish you know that it could be a part of entertainment a chef with his own persona and passion who will occasionally pop out of the kitchen and start shaking hands with the guests and ask feedback is not someone you will try to get back to the kitchen because this is the way things have been done previously your chef could be your greatest asset and truly bespoke experience for your guests we see more and more people in the industry who are embracing different and different could be you know very appealing and i think we are trying to attract people that have something unique to offer whatever it is whether it's personality or skill set so for me one of the very good examples is did you see the salt bay video that guy that is salting his beef in a particular way and it's a performer yeah Do you I know what that, i'm talking yeah. about So it's a global phenomenon, right? A guy who's got zero hospitality industry background, a guy who barely speaks speaks an English, he had no budget, no money, a, a Turkish guy who decided to travel the world, and the only thing he had is his egocentricity and he was very he's very quirky and uh, he's a showman and he loves his meat. The way he treats the meat, you know, the marinating he does and and carving is different to anyone else. He's on display. And the interesting part is, you know, he he is now having like twenty restaurants in the best places in the world. His starting price for a steak is two hundred and seventy-five dollars. 
at peace and no side orders. Well, he's not charging for the meat, trust me, however good it is. He's charging for the experience and all the people in his restaurants are different. Their personality, dancing waitresses and singing people and, and poets and disabled people, they are from all sides of the world and they all contribute and they are different. And this is the kind of place where celebrities come because they want to be surrounded by people who are different, people who they can learn from, people they can admire, they can watch, they can talk to, they can learn something new from. And, and I think it's amazing that we're becoming more individual, more unique, and we celebrate that fact that we are unique. And I think that was also a Leon try. I think they did something last year in Soho where they opened up on Shaftbury. I think they had a location opening where they only hired, you know, individuals that are very clear. And I think I remember I saw the job ad. They wanted people who worked in the theater industry. So you had maybe need for part-time income, but then you can come and flourish there. And I don't know if they changed that uh, as it is today, but I thought that was a very, very interesting, interesting step at that time. One of the first ones doing that in a way, because these kind of type of people often need an extra income. What better than to go and train what you want to become? In Perfect. A way. I think that was the, the approach at that time from Lee. And I thought that was very clever done and really put them aside from the pack there to be different as often say try to do something that's very different almost saying we are looking for a very specific thing because we know that fit our culture and people that goes and look at southwest airline will see exactly the same they're very clear about which kind of candidate they need to run these flights and they're looking for entertainers they're not looking for operational experts of fulfilling the processes that has to be done it's a given but they put systems in place to take care of that and then they let the staff flourish as well So what you're saying as well, if I understand you right, is it's also time to release control out to the front line a bit more. Call it self-management if we use the academic word for it, like giving the empower the front line and do less control from the management on all touch points in the restaurant. Absolutely. Empower them. Make them accountable for the customer satisfaction. And it might mean that you will give them a budget of they can spend up to, I don't know, pounds a week or a month, depending on the restaurant, on minimizing damage or delighting guests. And if it sometimes means, you know, the dessert will be free or the coffee will be free, or there will be something extra coming from the kitchen, you know, or an extra glass of champagne or Prosecco for someone who's celebrating, you know, a very special occasion that should be encouraged and allowed because that customer will be coming back. And right now, I don't think we have it. And there's a lot of control from top management, what you can do and what you cannot do, and things have to be signed off. So that empowerment will bring a lot of business back. How do you do that? Just thinking from the classic operation point of view, that means that I need to do something different than I do today because how do I empower people? Because what we often do is we train them in the procedures and we ask them, no, no, we don't want you to do that. We want you to follow the procedure and do it this way. So how do you get started with all this? Well, for example, when you look what happens in the hotel industry, right? I mean, we've got even a housekeeper you know, in good hotels is empowered to spend up to a certain amount of money to repair damage. So if a customer is very unhappy with a particular service, I don't know, bed wasn't done the right way or things were not, you know, served the way they wanted or the steak wasn't cooked the right standard or there was a mistake with the food that was, you know, there is an ability to say, I apologize, we made a mistake, here is a glass of champagne on us, well, I hope you enjoyed that visit and we hope we can, you know, change your mind and we can repair the damage. So there must be a way to 
to reverse it rather than, oh my God, I don't know what to do. I have to find a manager to talk to the manager and then get his approval so I can offer you a glass of wine for free so you will feel better. By the time it's done, you know, it's so orchestrated. It takes such a long time. It's such a long process. You know, that guest is truly done. Going from, you know, empowering staff and uh, and your book is definitely a read for, for any hospitality leader in the industry. And I've always already been out saying that that will spark your mind about what needs to happen. If you want to go down this journey, what is the best thing to do first besides buying a book and read it? What would you say to a hospitality leader saying, this, this is really, I really, really, in a way, can see this is the thing I need to do because I can't cut any more costs, train my staff as best as I can. I really need to try to do something different to break out from the pack. So what would you be saying that the first thing they should do? I think you're going to guess what I'm going to say. What really surprises me, and this is why I decided to leave my previous job, is, you know, hospitality has moved a really, really long way. We have now... Lots of touch points really beautifully orchestrated. So, you know, the venues are beautiful and open kitchens and the food is good. The wine list is incredible. The cocktails are spectacular. And, you know, the interior and exterior, everything is, you know, the music, the smell, the sound, everything is great. And then if you're a teetotal and there's 21% of people in this country who don't drink at all, they're not cutting down, they don't drink at all. And they're looking for a solution to go with their steak. There's not even a list of soft drinks very often. There's a very little movement in this space. So look into, you know, more bespoke services and, you know, more mocktails, premium non-alcoholic drinks. Look into what's happening really on the broader level. You know, people who are vegan, vegetarians are catered to. But we are having a lot of flexitarians and it's a different movement. So keep on top of those trends and try to make sure that there are little twists and changes to your menu so you can always implement But for me, because I'm now in the drinks industry, heavily deep down from it's always surprising. You know, when I go to a premium restaurant and I look around and I see this beautiful venue with guests having beautiful food and sipping tap water. This is not an experience. I mean, tap water is what I drink at home. It's nice and healthy. Thank you very much. But I'm coming to your hotel, to your restaurant to be wowed. And I want you to deliver on experiences at every touch point. I mean, even when you go to the restaurant's toilet, I mean, the soap is quality. It's luxury. It's stealable, right? And then when it comes to the non-alcoholic drinks that go with your food, it's just water. You see often, you know, especially when you're out in January, a lot of people, they end up with this bottle of sparkling water because that was the most exciting things to find on the drinks menu. Absolutely. And you can see they're sitting and searching. I've noticed a couple of times, people sitting and searching, and you have the pressure of putting that order in. And then you uh, give up. Sparkling water or Diet Coke or whatever it's going to be. Absolutely. So we're seeing this more and more. And, uh, you know, this year we had 4 million people in the UK who signed up for Dry January. It is not going away. We had 2.4 million people doing sub-October. This is a massive trend. And millennials don't care. They are consuming drinks that are non-alcoholic. So they're healthier. You can see there's a gym around every corner right now. You might not have a bookstop, but you will have a gym. You will not have a grocery shop anymore because everything is going online. But there will be a gym and there will be a coffee shop and there will be a restaurant. So so it's all about making sure that you're capitalizing on those opportunities. Tap water is really not a solution for the hospitality industry. And to be honest, there's no profits for you there. We have to offer something better, uh, something enjoyable, memorable, something that will make you feel proud. This is what you serve in this outlet, not tap water, because... You know, it's just not sparkling water. It's not bottled water anymore. People are moving to tap water because people are becoming planet conscious, right? They they don't want unnecessary packaging. And if you're going to have something as boring as water, you might just have tap water. It's, it's just the same in consumers' mind. The only way is down now. 
Because what you're saying is your biggest opportunity probably lies in something that is quite easy to change. So basic. Drinks. Go and look at your drinks. Variety. If it's a coffee, how the way you do coffee, how the way you do alcoholic-free drinks, you can go even fermented drinks. I've seen already amazing opportunities within that. I've seen some operators starting doing that. And people really likes it because it's actually good for them. Besides, they don't feel bad about drinking it. And it actually does more than just taste nice now because they become so good at creating these things. Teetotal is the new vegan. So 10 years ago, we might be frowning because we had another vegan in a restaurant and it was such a pain in the neck. Right now, you're going to have teetotals. What are you going to serve them? Tap water will not do. And next time, they will have a great delivery of your food to their house. And they're going to have tap water there. They don't need you for that. So no. make sure that all the touch points are carefully orchestrated. And this is how they're going to come back. Yeah, and I guess also if you become really good to a drink, now I'm just thinking a bit of business development, then you can almost sell that. How simple is that? Take, yes. Take it home. So there's also a lot of revenue generated. Coming back to what you also mentioned in the book, you're doing all this for profitability. And it's not just for, you know, doing something that's nice. It's actually for profitability in the end of survival of your sense. business and future proof it. You touched a bit about it in the beginning. Uh, I just wanted to talk a bit more about technology because there's a lot of people out there screaming technology, both, you know, for consumer point of view, internally for improving workforce and things like that. Technology, is is that something that can help you become more bespoke? Because a lot of people talk about we want touch screens and we want digital journeys and all that kind of thing. Is that that's a way forward to become bespoke? You you cannot ignore technology nowadays, I think, not, not in any industry. I think the ability to harness technology will play an increasingly important role in uh, how you attract the future customers. You can target them in a more effective way. You can have access to data to understand who they are, what they drink, what they eat, how they behave, their preferences. So you can tailor things orchestrated before they even arrive. You know, technology can deliver personalized tracking. It can help you with your performance massively. You know, technology, it's like an extension of your marketing right now. Whether you go to digital, whether you go online, it has to be a reflection of you and what you stand for. And it has to enable new processes, effectiveness and efficiency of, I don't know, customers don't want to wait for the bill to be paid. They don't want for your staff to take half an hour to come to them with the bill. This is an easy fix. Why don't they pay on an app or technology? But be careful of that, because after technology, there's a need for human touch as well. And there are some places that customers don't want to see it. So in fast casual or fast food places or casual dining, I think technology is very welcomed right now. No one wants to hang around too long, but that has to be a really good balance. So uh, you don't deliver the bill too quickly and you don't deliver the food too quickly because it's a special occasion. And if you deliver your food too quickly, that means you didn't prepare it fresh. It wasn't done to the standard that it should be taken care of. If you're a premium outlet, then they would expect to wait. They will want to wait and they're prepared to wait. And that's what they will pay for. So this is a balance, right? But that's unacceptable in fast casual or, or fast food. It has to be quick as quick as possible. They want to be in and out and on the go. So just decide who you are and what you stand for. We are seeing now, you know, a lot of technology in terms of 3D projectors. So this is when you have a 3D digital displays. The Petit Chef, for example, uh, have you seen it? Marco Polo? No, I haven't seen that. So this is like a 3D display, digital technology, which is displayed on your table. I think it's a seven course menu around the world. 
So every dish comes from a different side of the world and it's a fully immersive experience through technology. So a little chef pops out on your table. It's a 3D animated chef. Ingredients start growing and you take into India and China. You know, with every dish you go into a different country and you learn about the ingredients and how the food is harvested and how, how, how it's grown. Then you see how it's prepared and you're learning about the key landmarks of the country. The music is playing in accordance with the dish. You know, for 15 minutes you are in China and then for another 10 minutes you're going to be in Germany and then you're going to be for another 10 minutes you know somewhere else in the world and that's unforgettable and you know some people say well that's not for me because the food industry is about food but actually in terms of fully immersive experiences why not this is why you're paying 300 pounds for a small tasting menu instead of 60 because you're taking on a journey one of the things we didn't touch on before I was thinking about while you were talking about you know creating the experience the educational responsibility we have as an industry around food because we have lost the connection with food in my view and I'm part of another business where we talk a bit about we are not a food business we all come from the food industry but we are an educator and experience business so it's going to be all about to understand what local sourcing means what does it mean actually to go into your kitchen and cook a good meal what are the good principles behind that we're not only serving a dish of food you can eat at the location but you're actually taking a story with your home either something that's told on a piece of paper or utilizing technology in that way is very powerful. But people are actually hungry to know more about their food. Yes, and it's also because they don't trust now anyone. We don't trust the governments, we don't trust media, we don't trust authorities, we don't trust the big companies. So when we come to our local restaurant or any restaurant right now, we expect honesty and authenticity. And if you're saying you are authentically you know, sourcing from local producers... They want evidence of that and they will be investigating where's your pepper coming from in your pepper meal. Mm. Not just your meat, not just, just your vegetables, not the yeah. basics. If you're in, you're in fully and, and you're not cutting corners. They want to see you are authentic and, and you're true to what you're claiming to be on the label. So I think there's a lot of skepticism right now and, and consumers truly investigate and they will find out. So there are things you're hiding, they will find out. If you are having your food all frozen up and prepared for defrosting and then you're claiming it's all freshly made on the side, and they will find out. Be very careful with that. But I guess there still is a market for that when you think about the food chain having frozen food. But then be honest about it and but say, that's what we serve. Absolutely. Don't claim to be something because, because it's trendy right now to be ethical and local, organic or sourcing locally. Just be honest. Whatever you stand for, you know, just be honest and, and stand by it and deliver it properly. When I born and raised in industry and it was very story based when I like decided this, that you, you buy into that emotion, you're part of something special, you create special moments for people. And the storytelling has gone out a bit with all the marketing, branding and so on. But often when you start scratching in brands, you find out there's not a very authentic story behind it. The, you know, the story is to sell something and make profit. I understand you need to do that. You used the word authentic before also when we talked about street food. There's an authentic story. There's two guys trying to do it. Honest Burger is a very good example of two guys down in Brighton want to make the best burger in the world and see where they are now. And they keep on banging on about that story. Take care of your people, customer and your product and be, you know, authentic about it and try to do it the right way. And I think there's a lot that's been lost in that care. Uh, I talked with a couple of people on the podcast before, but also that you know when it's not right. So don't claim it. If yes. not right. And, 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 and tell these great stories why your company was founded and why we're on that journey, like Caluccio's. It was a great, great story, but it, it has to display the reality of what's happening out in the front line, I often say. 
Correct. And I think this is why casual dining has been suffering over the last few years, because, you know, we had all the fantastic marketing agencies involved creating the brand personality are so authentic, except it was completely faked and uh, completely orchestrated. And, you know, we know that all the brand personality that carefully orchestrated menus, every piece of design in that restaurant, the way people perform and behave, the way people are trained comes from a big, thick manual, which is somewhere in the headquarters, which comes from a fancy marketing agency. Guests can see it. They can see the fingerprints, you know, of your marketing agency all over your menu. So, and there is nothing entertaining and nothing authentic about that unauthentic tone of voice and personality which you're trying to portray and it's not really there. I guess this also, if you think about all the things that go on in the industry, and we talked a lot about big ones, we take the smaller ones, smaller change, you know, family-owned operators, three, four restaurants, maybe only one. I guess, in my view, I don't know what you view as this, they have amazing opportunity in all this, especially when we talk about bespoke, because they're probably already doing some of it. A great example is the a guy called Carl that was on the podcast. He heads up a mushroom home in Brighton. When you go there, you will know what bespoke means. Special loyalty club for the very loyal customers. Du, 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 du. You can get anything you want on that plate. They will just do it in the kitchen. So I guess this is an amazing opportunity for the people that felt a bit lost and thought we'd lost the battle to the big brands and corporates. These have a new opportunity to flourish and show what real hospitality is about. Change of power, yes. Change of balance. I mean, we see in lots of entrepreneurs across all industries. You can see what's happening in food and drink, you know, development and this industry, but also with hospitality, the small brands, quirky smart brands, testing, you know, street markets and suddenly popping up everywhere. Absolutely, they taking the market shares and they're creating a bit of a revolution, a bit of a movement, something different and unique and customers want it. It has to be very carefully orchestrated because the bigger you grow, the more danger you have, as you know, it's more, you, you're going into the dangerous territory of actually standardizing all the behaviors and standardizing the services and everything has to be done in a particular way. So you have to be very careful how you scale up. And this is why we're seeing so many new brands popping up and the well-loved and established brands suddenly disappearing. I was a panel some time ago where we talked about scale-up and we ended up with actually concluding, I think there was an almost alignment across the, the panel, that it was not about how many units you have, but more about the impact you can make. Correct. Yes. And, and that was very interesting. And, and you can see that in a way there was definitely disagreement because restaurants have also been looked at as property businesses. You try to scale the property estate and that takes the individual or the unique experience out of it because then you have to be so uniform because you're just doing for the sake of property. So that was very interesting. And that was actually the same conclusion there that yeah, maybe you are there's a, a loft, a glass ceiling of how big you can become as a concept. That's so much to talk about. We can probably go on for hours on the book and I'm sure there's going to be another podcast where we're going to revisit uh, the book or maybe an edit version or number two, you never know. Uh, there's a lot of talk out there and I know you're going to be touring the, the country and the industry uh, and talk about this a lot. So if you have the opportunity, go in and see, uh, see Camilla. But before we leave the podcast, we always ask our guests if they could get an advice to the industry or an industry leader. And uh, of course, besides buying the book, will be, be very helpful for people out there. What will you be your one advice to, to give away here in the end of the podcast? This is exactly what it is. It's bespoke. It's as simple as it is. You can premise your proposition with bespoke offering. You can charge more for this. People are prepared to wait longer for bespoke services. People are prepared to pay more for bespoke services. I mean, this is a commercial opportunity which you will not find 
in many other aspects. And it's still, you're doing the same thing you've been always doing, great food and great drinks and great experiences. Just scale it up, just pimp it up, just make it a little bit more appealing, a little bit more personal and see what's going to happen. Thank you so much, you. Camilla. That was amazing advice. All of it, not only the last one. Thank you very much for coming today and uh, look forward to following you over the next year's time. There's probably amazing things going to happen. Speak to you soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Wow. I hope you just sit with the same feeling I did. That really blew my mind on how to approach hospitality. Thank you very much, Camilla, sharing all around personalization. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a like, share, or even better, rate us on our iTunes. Thank you, Laura, from Let's Talk Video Production for your ongoing podcast assistant. Tune in next time for another industry interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us at hospitalitymavericks.com. Thanks for listening and be maverick.